it is time to catch up with the one and only Stephen Marsh. It's a huge weekend of racing coming up with Trans-Tasman Group 1s with Kiwi Chances galore. And Marshy has a huge team in on this side of the ditch, including smart two-year-old Sarko and the Group 1 one or two sires, which would look great in the cabinet. Even better would be the ATC Derby Trophy, and that's where Marshy is heading to now. Sydney to settle up his chance in the Derby. Andalus, he's on the phone with us. How are you going, Marshy? Good morning. Yeah, yeah, very good. How are we going, team? Mate, mate, just yeah, I guess you're getting nervous. Like, what, what's it like, mate? You're heading out to the airport. You've got that big race coming on. Uh, you're happy with your chance you got in the derby? Yeah, he's actually. Um, he went. He arrived over Monday night. Um, settled in unbelievably well. He just hasn't missed a beat. So no, look, we're we're confident he's going to run a big race. Obviously, a very good field. Um, but yeah, we think we've got the right horse. He went super in the New Zealand Derby, so he'll race extremely well again, that's for sure. He did. He went huge, Marshy. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the call, mate. He went huge in the New Zealand Derby. It was such a big run, and I know you guys and Connections were quietly confident he'd get the trip. Um, just on the trainer front, do you have a Koru Club, club membership? Or what are, you, are you like a flat wide at 7 a.m.? Can you treat yourself to a little Corona at this time of the morning, or is it a bad look? Oh, I don't think I'll have a corona. There's actually a few racing people here, but no, I wouldn't have a corona this early. Um, <laughs> no, a little, uh, little cappuccino, a little bit of a little <laughs> one sugar. It's about me, just for the uh, for the time being. Been not, I've been not overdo it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you, yeah, don't overdo it. I can't speak for Wellwood and Forsman, though. Um, now, it is a big weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know either. It's only 5am no. in Australia. They, they might still be going. Um, Marshy, it's a, it's a big Kiwi contingent in the derby. Now, you, you're happy with your bloke. Sharp and Smart's obviously the one to beat, but he's drawn out. Is is there a sense of pride when you take tackle these big Australian races with a big Kiwi team and Kiwi contingent in general? Are you just worried about yourself? Oh, look, I think we're, we've got to be proud how the Kiwis are going at the moment. Um, you know, they're just flying in Australia. It's, it's brilliant. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we, we love getting horses over there and, and competing um, in Australia, especially in the championship days. Um, it's, it's brilliant. And, you know, we, we're, we're certainly not going over there to make up the numbers. And, you know, in our little uh, street in Cambridge, um, the three trainers, we've got um, rural next-door neighbours and we've got three three live chances, I would have thought. So, no, it's, it's great. Um, but, obviously... More concerned about our own one, but uh, still great to have a good team and, and well represented. Well, mate, that's going to be one hell of a party, Marshy, with the, with, with the three of you, if you get first, second and third. Uh, mate, just talking about uh, who you got on the back of him too, Zach Purton on him, it's proper star power there, isn't it? Yeah, he's, um, well, look, he's rated potentially the best in the world. It's, um, it's outstanding to have him on, that's for sure. Um and, you know, uh, right draw, I think uh, Mitch, who's got the horse over there, he, he did the barrier draws, and I think it's the most winningest barrier in the last 20 or 30 years. So all those little things uh, will make you feel good anyway. Um, but, yeah, no, look, great jockey, great draw. Horses tr- travel beautiful. So, no, I think we're sitting, sitting in a good position. 
That's very exciting, mate. Uh, it is very exciting. And back home, you've got a, a huge team actually lighting up in New Zealand. We'll start with the sires. It's a, a race you'd, you'd love to get your hands on. Sarko, he, two starts ago, a little bit of a head-scratcher because we thought he'd cop the track, but then last start, he looked like the proper racehorse that we thought he was, and he's obviously going good enough that he's right in the market for this race. Another really good draw. Where is Sarko at? Yeah, he's gone really good. Lucky that when he ran um, second at Rotorua, he went really good on a wet track. But then it was probably a little bit worse at um, Matamata. Just didn't go a yard in it at all. And even Wurumu said after the race when he won at Wellington, he said, "God, he, he only just sort of got through that track as well." So it looks like it's going to be firm. There, there potentially could be rain coming um, later in the day, but hopefully that doesn't come. And if, it, if it is a good track, um, he wouldn't worry about being firm. And yeah, I mean he's got to be right of it. I've been. Troy Brienne looks the one to beat. trolled up awesome leading into it as well. So it's the one to beat, but we've drawn good. We'll posse up, and it's pretty even after the favourite. Nice. Yeah. I know we are, sorry, sorry, Louis. I know, I know we ask you this pretty pretty well often enough, but is it the week for Dubai Diva, uh, Marshy? <clears throat> yeah, look, I honestly thought it was. Um, I think Spratt will really suit drawn one. Um, she's going to jump, put herself right up on the seat. And I, I, look, I'm going to be disappointed if it's not the week. Um, she should be awfully hard to beat. And I know I've tipped her out a lot, but give her one more chance. Oh, I will. I will give her another chance. And it's not even your, it's not your fault. You get blokes like me pressuring you because I, I, I love her. And I just think she's a good racehorse. But, but it, she's making me look silly as well. But I'll be back on. It's okay. I, I think we do give her another chance. The field looks like it's hers. What about... GC up over ground because Clado, if I'm sick for Dubai Diva, Clado's sick for GC and he can't get enough of him. What do we do with GC, Marshy? Yeah, I, I thought um, you know, he's drawn a sticky gate in 11 of 12, but he's going to, he'll jump, we'll just let him find his feet. He, just the way he's racing, he just wants to get up over ground. As long as he relaxes good um, and doesn't over race, because every now and again he can just get on the bridle, but no, I like him as well and his work's been great and you know, he's got a nice light weight. He's got muscle to take another kilo, so 53. So, no, I, I think he'll um, he'll race very well. But we'll obviously improve with his first run over ground. What about Al Vincidor? Pretty interesting runner here. I've drawn the absolute car park, Tegan rides, down in the weights. Um, Seamus is obviously a proper racehorse, and there's a couple of nice ones in there. What are you expecting from Al Vincidor at a really decent price? Yeah, the barrier the barriers makes it really difficult to be honest. Um, you know, when you got horses like Seamus and nice draw, you know, there's a there's a few nice horses in there and barrier nineteen, I know he won't start for ninety, but sixteen of sixteen's a hell of a long way out and he's just gonna need a lot of luck. So it's it's not gonna be easy at all. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. And and on that, like barriers for for trainers, like it's obviously you hear you hear the saying all the time that good horses can win from bad barriers. But like, because we're going to talk about a lot with Sharp and Smart this weekend. When you draw that wide, and especially at these tracks where you you know it's not a long run before you can get in, how detrimental can it be in the run if you have to horses have to work that little bit extra to find a spot, Stephen? Well, a horse like El Vincidor, he usually jumps and puts himself up on speed. If he draws barrier one, he either just jumps to the front or jumps into the trail and does no work. Draws barrier 16, he's got the potential to be caught four and five wide early, even six wide. Got to push the button a little bit more to try and roll forward. And You know, you just, you, you're just using up, 
you know, it's all about percentages. You're just using up too many carrots, basically, and it makes yeah. it really hard. I mean, sometimes, you know, like Sharp and Smart, but it's just go back home. He's just proven sometimes he's just a, a lot better than them, even though he sits wide. But this sort of field, there's, um, you know... I thought he just needed a little bit more go in his favour, but no, no saying he can't get um, all the luck in the world, and who knows, he maybe does. Marshy, we, we had a chat to Al Sherrick yesterday on the show, and we talked about this group of um, crop of three, three-year-olds we've got, and he reckons it's the best we've ever had. What do you think, and, and why do you think that is? Oh, it's got to be, um, I think it's got to be the best um, we've had, you know, a couple of group ones in, in Australia, um, the Kelso's filly in, in Melbourne was unbelievable. Um, and obviously, um, the other day, you know, Roger and Rod Roberts was, was terrific. I mean, I don't know. I mean, hey, Pras is doing the job there, absolutely flying. We've, actually, it's quite exciting. We've got a really good bunch of stallions around us in New Zealand now, too. We were looking, you know, a little while ago, it was sort of, uh, you, you sort of had Savabeel and then there was a bit of a drop down to the rest. But we've got some really exciting stallions. Got some bloody nice horses going around, and hey, maybe people will retain a few more stake monies on the rise. Hopefully, with the new merger, will go up again, and might be a little bit of um, bit of hype around the game again, which is good. Yeah, you, you did right. Like Ritchie's stud, how good would it be to be private trainer for them? They, the, these stallions that they've got, this lineup, and, and that's there's there's plenty of other studs, and then you've got exciting horses that Rodney and Sims like Profondo are getting over. So it's all just your yeah, boxes are being ticked. Marshy, it's it's very exciting. What's your best chance this weekend before we let you crack on, dear Cappuccino? Well, I really thought uh, we'll stick with Dubai Diva, but I, I thought La Bella Beals at the weights. Um, I thought I thought it was out of basically out of Dubai Diva and La Bella Beals. I think they're a nice little multi, and um, and we've got some other nice chances. But they're the best too. Okay, that's interesting, La Bella Beers, because you got three nice chances in the first at Avondale. It's, it's um, all right, we'll chalk that down. Appreciate it, mate. Hey, good luck over there. Go give them hell. And oh, I really do think in New Zealand they'll be winning that derby. Um, you know, I give Sharp and Smart obviously a massive chance, but your guy, he's just, that was so impressive in our derby. So he's got to be a huge chance at a nice price. Uh, price. All the best, mate. Cheers, man. Thank you very much. Stephen Marsh, MP. He's good for he's a chat. A he is. Yeah. He's such a nice. He's such a nice man, and always he has time for you when you go to the, you go to the races, you hang out, and uh, he'll always come up and have a beer with you and talk to you. Um, caught up again with him down at the Karaka Sales. He had a big crew with him, obviously, um, with so many horses running around this weekend. He's got a big stable of uh, of chances this weekend. Dubai Diva La Bella Beal, uh, of course. Yep, you love Dubai Diva, don't you, Louis? You're going to give him another chance. I do. I do. I've got, a, I've got a big soft spot for Dubai Diva. She just, this preparation needed to win one <laughs> to validate it. And um, she hasn't yet, but Marshy's right. Sam Spratt will get her out of the barriers. Hopefully there's not too much pressure in the race. She can get an easy enough lead. And um, 1,400 metres, she's only won the twice there, but I do think that's kind of her distance. How's this? Dubai Diva top three at 210, La Bella Beals to win at 270. Marshy has the mortgage in the first race. At, at, uh, this is Avondale we're talking about. That's a $5.67 multi. If he's tipping out La Bella Beals where he's got tight line and winning for all there, um, it's a nice competitive race, but La Bella Beals, she went huge last start. She's got the lightweight. 
I think she's going to be a, a big chance. So maybe that's a little two-leg Stephen Marsh multi to fill your boots, and then you can have a bet on Andalus each way because he's going to be in it for a long way. And really interesting to hear him talk about what you do with wide draws and using carrots yeah. because it is all percentages. If a horse has to work a little bit harder at the start to find a spot or gets posted wide, so we're talking about wind-hitting horses here, and essentially like if you're riding a bike or running, you know what it's like. You want to find a slipstream. Um, and, and the longer you're not there and you're kind of punching the breeze, and then also you add in the fact that uh, like a racing track, like a running track, you know, watching the Olympic sprints, you're in those wider lanes, you're covering so much extra ground. If you're stuck with that combination of punching the breeze and in wider lanes, often there's just no hope for you. And that's is when you talk when you talk about drawing wide, you got to imagine when it, where the starting barriers they sit parallel to the running ra- rail. Uh, sorry, they sit uh, adjacent to the running rail. Um, so essentially, all of those horses that come out of the barriers at the same time, they're all trying to fan in to get their spot. The wider you are, the harder it is because all the horses get to the, that are inside you. Well, they get to find their spot faster. And then if you get some, you know. It, smart jockeys like there are in Sydney playing jockeys where they start to post you and start to ride against you as well as riding their race. They think, hey, Sharp and Smart's out here. Huey's out here. If I can keep Sharp and Smart out a little bit longer, well, A, that means I get a good spot and B, the horse to beat has to punch the breeze for a little bit longer. Then it becomes a really hard deal. But then all of a sudden, like Pinarello in the Queensland Derby, if you want to go back and watch an example of a horse drawing wide and getting the getting the perfect run, well, Lee Thinnis... He just pushed the button. He said, I'm just not going to take my chance here. He went forward. And within about 30 metres, it might have been about 50, all of a sudden a spot opened up. And because he was proactive and pushed his horse forward, he just jumped on the right the right iron and slid his horse in and was one off and about three back. And it was one of the most genius rides from a wide gate. So you can do all the speed mapping you want and you can pontificate it about it as much as you like. And then the barriers open and... All of a sudden, your horse can be in a beautiful spot, and you haven't backed it because it drew wide, and you think, "Oh my god!" And <laughs> yeah. and and that's the, that's why they call it the great game, Kimpy, because there's so much to calculate. Yeah, look, the real good um, summation of that barrier, that barrier jump, Louis. There, you're dead right, and that's why sharp and smart. Everyone still thinks it's a favourite and can get it because it's its last run when it won from that wide draw by going that wide the whole way around and still getting the job done. So. You're dead right. There's so many variables to uh, to play out. And look, I like what Marshy said on you know Dubai Diva La Bella Bill. You got a five dollar multi there. Five buck multis are special. So you know that just just that two horse. You if you wanted a little dabble, have a crack on that. Well, tackle height has been a hot debate in New Zealand and around the world over the past few years, and NZR has taken. The Bulls by the Horns on the subject and rolled out a world-leading campaign over the community rugby game. Club rugby kicks off for parts of the country this weekend and after pre-season of change and tickling around the sternum and below, we've had a good read on how the changes are going down around the country. Here to chat about this and a good friend of our show is Steve Lancaster, the General Manager of Community Rugby. Good morning, Steve. How are you this morning? Yeah, good guys. How are you? Yeah, real good. Mate, just uh, what's the feedback so far you've received through pre-season about the reception of the tackle height? It's been quite positive, um, uh, Kemp. It's, um, yeah, we, we, one of the things we put a lot of effort into once we announced these changes uh, for this year was to ensure that we got plenty of resources out there and opportunities for people to understand how these um, law variations would be applied, uh, and it seems to have landed pretty well. Yeah, and and what about the education of it? How have you rolled that out, especially with the referees? 
Yeah, so we've um, developed a lot of online resources to ensure that they're accessible and available uh, to referees and coaches, but we've also introduced some specific modules into our referee um, training programs for the start of the new year to ensure that they've all got a good understanding of it. Hey Steve, it's Louis here. Thanks for coming on the show, mate. It's um, it's a really exciting time for the sport of rugby, and it, it must be a little bit nerve-wracking at the same time. I've got lots of friends that play premier club footy out in um, the, the country, in Canterbury country here, and look, there's been mixed responses, to be honest. Some of them understood it, some of them are very frustrated, and I think that's probably what you would expect. On the overall, do you think people understand that, that this is kind of the beginning and, and this is something that has to happen? We have to break the back of it if we want the game to have a you know longevity and, and be in New Zealand culture for a long period of time? Yeah, we do. We really do think that, Louis. Um, look, and again, we, we've been very deliberate that this is a trial for this year. Um, we trialled the, the, the tackle white law last year in a selected number of grades and the feedback was really positive. So we're rolling it out to all community grades this year. Um, with anything that's new, you, you have teething problems for people as they, they get their heads around the, the new law or the new tackle on it. But as I think I said to you guys when we announced this at the end of last year, really what we're, we're trying to get players to do and coaches to coach is to lower the tackle target zone. Uh, and, and I think everybody gets that. And yeah, sure, you know, there'll be some interpretation challenges as people get their heads around it. But we're really confident based on the, the feedback we got from participants that played the, this rule change last year that it works. And so I, I think once we get into the season and people get their heads around it, they'll have no problem with it. Hey, Steve, have you experienced anything on the sidelines? Like, How are people uh, receiving it that are actually watching the game? Well, it's a bit too early uh, to say that if, I, if I'm honest, Kempi, but you know, anecdotally, what, what I do hear people saying is, How's it going to be refereed? You know, like how do you, how will you determine whether a tackle is below or above the the sternum line? Uh, but frankly, that's no different to how it's currently refereed um, with a higher tackle limit. Um, there's always an element of subjectivity um, to to any refereeing decision, frankly. Um, but really, as I say, we we just want to tackle that lower that tackle zone. Um, and if players are, are really conscious about tackling uh, around the belly um, or the tummy area as the, the target zone, then there shouldn't be too much grey. Is is there like I'm just thinking on off the top of my head here? Is there any, a potential for a sponsor to to put a loop on the jersey and you know SENZ around the the, the nipple line, um, so that the referees can actually <laughs> see it a lot easier? Are you offering to sponsor that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if Hachi's listening, he's he's, in, he's into all sorts of innovative stuff, Steve. So maybe that's a conversation. <laughs> Yeah, look, no, it is something we we considered, and it has been uh, suggested from time to time that we, yeah, you know, we incorporate a band onto jerseys. But because there are so many different jersey styles and types, and so many different body shapes, um, you you put a band on a jersey. Firstly, it'll it, get confused with some other jerseys that already have stripes or bands. Um, but secondly, not everyone's uh, body is constructed the same way, right? So what might be someone's sternum line um, might be someone else's. Um, how closely did you watch what was going on up at, with the RFU, Steve, and the waist down tackling situation um, in the UK? Yeah, very closely, Louis. Um, obviously, it didn't go particularly well for them uh, when they announced it. Um, uh, and we felt for our friends in the RFU. We, we, uh, one of the good things about the community game is that we're not competing 
um, with other countries. So we share a lot and we talk a lot about what's happening. And we actually reached out to them and um, and, and, and really just said, hey, it looks like it's pretty tough over there. Is there anything we can do to help? Um, they're really confident that they're on the right course with the below-the-waist um, tackle line. I think the, the one thing that we... Um, took a lot of comfort from in our process last year and we were intent on doing a game this year is a really high level of engagement with our participants. So we're not just making uh, decisions based on research or data. We're actually talking to the people that are playing under these law trials and asking them how they found them. And that was really informative in terms of uh, our rollout uh, across all grades this year. And we'll, we'll listen to that feedback again at the end of this year before we make any decisions for the future. Yeah, I don't want to get the um, the trailer in front of the truck here, but one thing I do hear and I, I do sympathise with is people wondering what the game's going to look like and be like when people start mastering this and the amount of offloads. And we saw Sonny Bill Williams laughing about how he wanted to make a comeback. And even at club level, the pace of the game and, and are we going to have props that look like um, flankers and, and that sort of thing. But that's a problem for another day. I am curious about your, your club numbers, Steve, because obviously COVID had been very disruptive for the last couple of years. Have we seen registrations pump back up this year? Yeah, we have, uh, pleasingly. And look, but we're not we're not getting ahead of ourselves yet. It's it's early in the year. Um and so we want to wait and see where numbers land. But we're really, really excited about our women's and girls numbers which are tracking at approximately double where they were a year ago. Um, wow. and our, our um men's and boys numbers are up as well. Um, one thing we're really mindful of though is that a year ago we were still operating under the COVID uh, protection framework. Um, you know, there were gathering limits and, and vaccine um, certificates in play. And so um, while we've seen a really positive spike in registrations at this stage of the year, um, we just want to see how that plays out over the course of the year before we start uh, pumping ourselves up too much. Hey, Steve, well, well, best of luck with it kicking off this weekend. Club rugby all around the country. We've already had some uh, text messages in saying they can't wait to uh, to get back out there and, and get to, to get the game underway. It'd be interesting to get you back on, actually, after maybe a month, six weeks, to see how it's going. But go well, mate. All the best with that, and thanks a lot for joining Izzy and Kippy for breakfast. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. There you go. Steve Lancaster up with uh, that. That is a battle, Louis. I've got to say trying to get that and police that and good question about the referees uh, let's hope that they've got some safety in and around the referees because I can I can see there's going to be a little bit of noise on the sidelines. Our next guest Frankie Endicott well he's a legend, he uh, is nicknamed Happy Frank for a reason because you can never rattle him, uh, coached me numerous times in New Zealand and of course in the national team uh, former Warriors coach and, and of course a very good um, analyst of not just football players but also racehorses, and the last time we caught up, this is what he had to say. I'm coming up to Auckland on Thursday. Um, we've got our little filly in it um, for the Caduceus Stakes, so she's racing Thursday and the following Friday at Alexandra Park. Millwood Nike. She left this morning, actually, on the float, but she's up against some real good ones. I see uh, uh, one of the two-year-old fillies broke a um, New Zealand record up there last Friday night, so she'll be up against it, but by gee, she's no mug. Morning, Frankie. By Jesus, she's no mug. How right were you with that? That was 11 wins ago. Oh, I can't believe it, eh? Uh, I remember that discussion, Kempi, and, uh, you know, we knew she uh, she was a talented filly, but um, to do what she's done has just been phenomenal. Mate, the ride, the ride with uh, Millwood Nike, where to from here, Frank? Can you sort of lead us into what we're looking, for, um, looking at in the future? 
Uh, well, she's got another. She's still in Auckland, and um, she's been up there for a couple of months now. And she's uh, she's got three races over the next uh, few weeks. She's got um, uh, the Sire Stakes heats coming up, Kempi. Uh, I think uh, the next one is the twenty first of April, uh, followed by another one on the fifth of May, and then she's staying hopefully for the final on the nineteenth of May, uh, and then she'll be having a rest. And then she'll be coming down to Christchurch for the big races down here. Um, the big target being the New Zealand Oaks. Hey, Frank, it's Louie here, mate. Now, I don't know if this is true, but Greg O'Connor said that this... I mean, you've, your son's involved with Milwaukee, and he, said, he seemed to think that this might be one of your son's first horse experiences in horse ownership. Is that true? Morning, Louie. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. It's... Uh, He's never been interested in horses, and now he's an absolute expert. Um, Shane, <laughs> my youngest son, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, if he fell down the, you know what, the, he'd come up with a diamond ring. He, he First horse, and he ends up with one like this. I mean, I can't believe uh. it, you know. I thought you had to earn horses like this, but, uh, yeah, once a horse in, in a generation, and he comes up with it first up, how lucky. Oh, oh this just breaks my heart and the rest of the horse owners' <laughs> hearts around the, around the world. But uh, good on them. It's, as you know, Frank, it's, uh, you've got to hang on to a good one and enjoy it because, yeah, they, they aren't um, that easy to find. It is one in 100,000 sort of thing, and she looks pretty special the way she glides across the uh, the turf. It's, it's pretty amazing to watch her go, and, and you've got her in the right barn, so it's pretty exciting stuff for the whole family, I imagine. Oh, not just family, but um, people in the street that stop you and talk to talk to you about it too. I mean, she's got such a following now. I suppose when you get a horse that's won eleven in a row, um, you know, you you can't go on forever. We're we're realists, we know that. Um, but at the moment, we're enjoying the ride. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you'll have pocketfuls. And talking about gliding across um, the racetrack, what about the football field? How well are the Warriors going at the moment, Frank? Well, I've got to say, they've, uh, they've been impressive. Um, you know, I look at their lineup. I, I think the coach is doing a pretty good job there, Andrew Webster, um, and is proving it. And uh, they have competed in every game, and um, they'll compete again this week, even though they're up against a very good side in the Sharks. I rate them. Uh, I think this game um, against the Sharks will determine just how far they've come. Uh, this is the big test for them. Yeah, but, look, uh, they, you know you can't take anything away from them. They're playing well. What do you like about them, Frank? Like, is it the new signings? Is it like they've got a different defensive structure? What is it that you've put your finger on and said, "I like what they're doing this year"? Well, you you, you put the finger on it there when you said defence. I think their defence is a lot more solid. In fact, you you go through their team and you look at it, Kempi. It's a solid team. Um, you can't say there's an out-and-out star in there, someone with explosive speed or, you know, skills. They're just solid. And, um, you know, they're a big, strong team right across the board from, from um, front rower to winger. They're all big, strong, the, the fullback. They're all playing They're all playing for each other. And I think their discipline certainly improved this year, which has been a, a real downfall in, in previous years. Kempi always talks about fitness, Frank, and um, that was something that him and Ando tried to drum into their generation of Warriors team, and it seemed to work pretty well. And, and these guys look very lean and fit as well. Uh, for a first-grade footballer, like, is there a chance that you can be a top-four side if your squad isn't in that kind of top-four of fitness, or, or is that just a non-negotiable? First and foremost, your team needs to be rock-hard fit like a good racehorse. 
Exactly, Louis, and Kempi's right. You can't play this game if you're not fit, and um, we know that from, from going back over the years. You've got to be super fit to play the game. It becomes a, a, a real good, simple game, rugby league. Uh, if you're fit, you, you enjoy it, but if you're, if you're unfit, it's the toughest game in the world. And um, No, that's, that's the big... If you're not fit, you know, they need to have a good pre-season, and it looks as though these guys have had it. Uh, they're all looking good. Um, you know, as you say, lean and mean. Um, but I don't know. There's just a look about them this year that um, they've got that twinkle in the eye. But we can't get carried away. It's round four. They've won three of the four, and they've got, and they're getting great accolades, and they deserve it. But um, you have a look at their run coming up. They've got some real tough games coming up, and this will uh, this will tell you whether they'll be in the eight or not. I, I predicted at the start of the year they'd be around eleven, twelve, and I haven't changed my mind yet. I hope yeah. I'm wrong. What do, what do you like about the competition this year, Frank? Because if you look from one down to the bottom, you know, top to the bottom of the table, there's only a couple of points separating the majority of them. You can't pick a winner. You know, you pick your nose better than you pick, can pick a winner this um, competition. Everyone's in with a chance. What, what do you put it down to? Well, I, I suppose with the extra team in, you take a, they ripped into Melbourne players, um, you know, took some of the cream of the Melbourne players, and that's brought Melbourne back to earth. Um, and I just think, you know, I don't know. You look at Penrith, you know, you just can't keep winning forever. Even the champions get beat. But they still look a very, very good team that could be there at the end. But it's just got a good even look about it this year. And, uh, you know, Cowboys, they haven't, we haven't seen the best of them yet, but they're a team that's going to be up there. And there's teams down near the bottom of the ladder that are going to end up in the, in the top four, top six. So um, I don't know what it is. It's just um, whether it's that extra team and they water down the talent across the board. Um, I don't know. Uh, players going from one club to another, uh, just strengthening them. You know, like you, you look at the Tigers signings. Uh, they haven't won a game yet, but they still look as though they could upset a side at some stage. So, you know, it, it makes for a good competition, Kempi. Frank, Frank, how do you enjoy or appraise the, the current landscape of professional football where players sign contracts sometimes 18 months away before they're, they're going to play and, and you've got movement or even longer and you've got movement between codes but I don't think that's a, that's been made a lot of this week it's probably the least of the issues but you get situations where the Parramatta Eels are talking about wanting a superstar fullback when they're captain in one of their best players is playing fullback and you get um, kind of Jack Wyden saying he's going to go and test the open market in round three. How different was that in your era? And ultimately, is it serving the fans the right way, do you think? I don't think so. I, I, I think things like that should be kept quiet between the agents and the, and the, uh, and the players and the clubs. But um, it gets out these days with the reporting that goes on, especially in Sydney, um, you've only got to look at the NRL 60 to, to know that. They get the information. Um, in our day, as Kempi would tell you, I think there was a lot more loyalty. Um, players are a lot more loyal. They were, you know, they were happy in their environment. Now, it's, um, it's all about the dollar. And, um, and, you know, you can't blame players. They've got that short window in life to make a quit, uh, look after their families, and, uh, and that's what they're doing. But... You know, I think you should be just um, currently worried about the team you're playing for that particular year, you know, and, 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 and when your contract's coming up, then start thinking about where you're going after that. But if you leave it too long, uh, you can miss the boat. So I can understand it, but um, I don't like the talk where they're going somewhere two years out. You know, it's not fair on the encumbrance.
We're talking to Frank Endicott, former Kiwis coach, uh, and of course Wigan Warriors and Warriors New Zealand coach. Frank, just about the the junior development and the younger grades coming through at the Warriors. We've got like the Jersey flag now playing. We had the reserve grade play before the the game, uh, the main game last week. Are you liking what you see there as far as development in New Zealand? Kempe, I think this is the best thing that's happened for the Warriors in years, um, in a decade more. Um, where the Warriors were looking uh, looking good with the with the reserve grade and the and the Colts team um, back in the nineties, that's when we started really looking as though we were going to be a force. Uh, Super League came in and 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 blew that apart. They made the promises that that would continue, uh, but it never did. Uh, they wiped it, and and it really the Warriors went down from that point on. Now that this has happened again, this is going to be this is going to be a pathway for players within New Zealand um, and players they get in to really make the Warriors a full a full strength outfit and um, and, and I, I believe it's the best thing that's happened and uh, you'll you'll see results come over the next couple of years because of it. Well, just before I let you go, Frankie, I'm going to ask you the question and don't sit on the fence. They play. The Cronulla Sharks this weekend, Nico Hines, as you saw against St George last weekend, just put on an absolute display out there, um, getting the Cronulla Sharks home by 40 points. Who you got and by how much? Oh, I never sit on the fence, as you know. Um, the Shark, <laughs> I believe the Sharks will win. Um, I think the Warriors have put up a good show, good showing, but the Sharks to win by, I would say, um, 14 14 and I say that because of Nick Hines. Nick Hines last week was just, um, it was one of the best performances I've seen from a player in a long time, and he'd been out three weeks. So that game under his belt is going to make him better again. And and they've got the best line runner in the NRL in their second row, um, Britt Nakora. I think he's a brilliant line runner. Um, you know, I, no, I, I, I'll go Sharks by 14, but I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, well, the whole of, whole of New Zealand hopes you. Frankie, just one quick one before you go. It's a big ra- uh, week of racing too. Have you had a look at the fields and is there anything um, in Awapuni, Avondale, obviously over the over the ditch that you like this weekend? Well, look, I haven't looked, Kempi. I can't help you there, mate. I'm going to actually have a look this afternoon when I get a bit of time and just sit down and uh, have a study up. But um, I'll come up with something. There you go. Send a three to me, Frankie. There's Frank Endicott, former Kiwi coach, former... Uh, New Zealand Warriors and of course Wigan Warriors coach as well. Thanks very much for joining us this morning on Izzy and Kimmy for breakfast. Frank, uh, love chatting to you and all the best with Millwood Nike. That champion, 11 wins. Let's hope he can get another 11. Thanks very much, Kimmy. Louis, have a great day, chaps. There you go. Frankie Endicott. They they call him Happy Frank for for a reason. He is such a good bloke. He's just a wonderful man, isn't he? He's just a he's a great Kiwi, and I am so happy. The Millwood Nike story is it's awesome. It's becoming it's becoming that of fairy tales, really. Yes, she's just racing the Phillies, and she will just race the Phillies and rack up another probably four hundred thousand dollars in prize money before the, she's done this year. And um, and then I was talking to Greg O'Connor about it, and he genuinely thinks she's got a chance to be an open class mare and, and take on the the older. Uh, Colts and Geldings, you know, horses at open class um, territory, which should be so special. And, and the thing is, her broodmare value right now is also astronomical. So they're making plenty off Millwood Nike. So that's probably why he's so happy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't tell you how much he's he's made over over uh, 
over a call, but if you sit down and have a couple of beers on, because he's a good bloke to have a, a little bit of a chin wag and a beer with too, Frankie, you'll, uh, he would actually give you all the information. The, the, the stuff he was talking about in and around players too, Louis, because he was a player agent as well. So he came out of coaching, he got into uh, player agency uh, with uh, the one and only Peter Brown, who was uh, another player that played in the Kiwis alongside me in the front row. Um, and they went on and had a number of very, very good players uh, on their books. He's not doing that anymore. He's, uh, he's down, sitting down... I think when I was down at Izzy's place, for, I think you could hit Frankie's house with a golf ball if you threw it. They're that close together. So um, good chat by Frankie Endicott, uh, just giving us an update on what he thinks of Milwaukee Nike and harness racing, his harness racing horse. What about his son? Eh? What about uh, his son? He reckons he just falls on his mate, feet all the mate, time. M- makes me filthy. I mean, I'm, I'm so happy for him, but I'm so <laughs> so jealous. Just scream with him. He's, so he's down. I thought he was down here. I'll have to... Maybe I'll um, go down to Eddington one day when Millwood Nike's racing and try and bail him up for a beer and, and ask him some, tell him, get him to tell me some stories about Ikimpi. Um, I might, might go and do that. Uh, well, guys, we've made it. It's time for the Friday Tipple. I can just hear the corks popping over there in the south of France, down on the border of uh, Spain. Is he Dag? Dagger! He'll be tasting that lovely red wine, that Bordeaux that comes out of that beautiful country. Um, And whenever you hear that music, Meeps, mate, you know that we're heading towards the weekend. And haven't we had a great week this week? On the Friday tipple to kick the week off, we caught up with the Golden Boots Super Rugby all picky champion Renee Holmes. How good was she? She is a bit dusty though after some well deserved celebration drinks, but she is so happy about where the women's rugby game is heading and can't wait to see more improvements to the competition next year. It is definitely just getting better and better. So, obviously, just you know, more game time, more game, get it expanded, let, let us play, you know, these Aussie teams and you know, the Fijiana team. That's the only way I think it's gonna, you know, just keep getting better and better. Once our girls, you know, get to go full time on a third rugby contract, it's gonna be. A very, very special and good day for women's rugby. Nice. I like I like her and man she's got a boot on her. Title town. Just another one in the cabinet. Simple <laughs> as that. Uh, it was an absolute honour. Danny Danny Lee's probably from Christchurch actually, because it was an honour to speak to the Live <laughs> Golf Tucson champion. Although he's a man of a few words. When Danny talks well you, you listen. <laughs> he mentioned how excited he was to head to Australia for the next stop on the Live Tour and to be so close to his hometown crushage. No, I'm not playing on the as extreme schedule as PJ Tour. Um, now I have some free time. I can definitely come over for a week or a couple of weeks for play event or just go over there for just chill a little bit. Before even I wanted to go over, I was always on the edge of me trying to make top 70 on the FedEx, top 30 on the FedEx is just, if you just skip two weeks on PG Tour, I just felt like I'm missing a lot. You know what I mean? 
It has to be from Christchurch, surely. <laughs> Title town. <laughs> That's so good, Louie. Oh, my God. The patch is on well and truly. It's always good when we get the legend TJ Perenara on the line. He was working hard at the gym on his recovery, and he's always working on being the best at everything he does and is keen to make his way back into the black jersey. One, I want to be the best, and that, that's always been um, a big driver of me, and, and it's whatever I do, I want to be the best in it, and um, currently um, I'm here with the Hurricanes and New Zealand Rugby, and I want to be the best um, player I can be, and my goal is being the best at rehab at the moment, because that's my, that's my current job. Uh, another big one for me, like, rugby is such a game that for me so much, and I feel like I owe, owe rugby um, the best that I can be every day. How good, TJ Perinart. Look, I think he's going to be back in the black jersey, and I just want to say a big shout-out to Thomas Perinart, the dad of TJ. He's the legend. Well, speaking of legends, we had the pleasure of catching up with one of the wisest men in sport and racing. Funnily enough, he's the brother of the bloke that runs the joint, Alan Sharrick. Al spoke about this crop of three-year-old racehorses that we keep banging on about, and he put into perspective as to why they are such a special bunch. Yeah, they're outstanding, as good as we've had for a long, long time. When you get those three-year-olds that can go wait for age against the older horses, they're special three-year-olds that can do that, you know. Um, And we've just got a crop of them, mate. Yeah, they're they're just phenomenal horses. And he's... He's right. Wait for age, prowess, sharp and smart. And that's why sharp and smart. He bit one that Herbie Dyke last weekend, uh, sorry, about four weeks, five weekends ago. He beat Campionessa, who went out and performed pretty well in an Australian Cup, um, but he did it sitting three wide. And, and that's why I think he can win this derby. The harder it gets, I think he finds another level. So I'm with sharp and smart in the derby. And that's my lock of the weekend. He, New Zealand horse is going to win the Australian derby. I can't wait. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think... Uh we're in for something special as, of, as, as they turn four, those, all those horses. So um, good call there, Louis. And, of course, our tipple of the week. We caught up with New Zealand basketball legend Tom Abercrombie, and I think it's fair to say he knows what he won't be doing when it comes time to end his playing days. Has coaching ever interested you? No. <laughs> <laughs> why? I don't know. I don't know why. I've just uh, always felt like my future lay in, in different directions and you know, coaching's not an easy life by any means those guys work their absolute butts off and up late at night crunching video and things like that and you know there's elements of of that life that I could see myself doing but um as I said I, I think I can see my skills being better used elsewhere but you know never say never how good hey eh? That's the type of answer that you want when you ask that type of question. And uh, when he said no, I just had a, a little wry smile on my face going, yeah, that's uh, one of the toughest jobs you'll ever do if you turn professional as a coach. Um, but what a week so far, fellas. Louis, uh, Tom Abercrombie, does he run around and get his 400th game next year? Yeah, 100% he does. I think that'd be the, he'd be the first person they would sign, just for what price. And that's the, always, the, that's always the case for them.